Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Dark Travels hostess. And tonight, as we close out Sydney, Australia, we have a Serial Killers with Sierra. Yeah. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Sierra. Hello, Vina. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Uh, 2020 has been a little rough. Not going to lie. 2022? Sure, that too. <laughs> <laughs> Both, actually. Yeah, no, this this year so far has been a little meh. Yeah. <laughs> but it is what it is. So, last time we visited, we were discussing... Ketty. Oh, that's right, the Ketty murders. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Azo's still unsolved. Right. Yes. Not local, but like... North, Northern California-ish, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, but we're in Australia. Yes. And we have this unusual serial killer. Yeah. He is known as the Granny Killer. Okay. And he was also a calling card killer. Calling card? Yes. So, are we talking like business calling card? No. So, a calling card killer is a serial killer that commits basically the same type of murder over and over and over and over. And they do it in the exact same way, and they do it publicly. So, like, they don't, like, try to hide the victims. They don't try to, like, kidnap and take them away somewhere. They, like, murder them. Basically, they have, like, a certain uh, modus operandi. In this guy's case, it is tying pantyhose around the victim's neck and a bow. Oh, okay. Now... Did he want to get caught? Is he fishing to get caught? Is, or is it like, you can't catch me, I'm the gingerbread man? It's kind of like that. So some of the best-known calling card serial killers are like the Boston Strangler, uh, Jack the Ripper, the Yorkshire Ripper, um, Australia's William the Mutilator McDonald, or the Son of Sam. Okay. So. Who a dog supposedly told His him to... neighbor's dog was God and told him to kill people right. or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm not buying that shit. <laughs> okay, so we have a calling card, the Granny Killer. The Granny Killer, Mr. John Wayne Glover. You know, I don't know, but John Wayne mm-hmm. seems to come up a lot. <laughs> John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. I think there's, or isn't there another one, John Wayne? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. There's a movie actor, John. Right, right. Well, he's not a serial <laughs> well, killer. Yeah. As far as we know. <laughs> right, correct, correct. <laughs> okay, so John Wayne Glover. Glover. Okay. 
So we'll give you a little background first. This man was born November 26, 1932 in Wolverhampton, England. Oh, so he's English. Originally, he immigrated to Australia at the age of like 25, 26, something like that. So he started doing really petty crimes back when he was like 15 years old. So he would like steal clothing, handbags, that kind of stuff. Handbags? Yeah. For the money or because he... I guess just for the money. Okay. I don't know. A lot of people steal anything anymore. Kleptomaniac, money. Right. The thrill, I guess. I don't know. People are weird. Gosh, that's an understatement, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the motto I live by. Just people are weird. He joined the British Army only to be thrown out once his little petty crimes were discovered by the Army. They're like, nah, nah, get the hell out of here. We don't need you. Nah. So he immigrated to Australia in 56 at 24 and lived in Melbourne for a while. He had a very troubled relationship with older women, mostly his mother, Freda, who had several husbands and many boyfriends. Okay, so this is a problem. Yeah. She's unstable. Yep. Were the boyfriends abusive? You know, I couldn't find anything that said anything about that. Okay. I don't know if it was just like seeing his mom with a bunch of different men that kind of... Triggered him? Yeah. Okay. But then after he got married in 1968, he was triggered by his mother-in-law, whose house he had moved into in Moseman, Sydney. So he... Did mommy follow him to Australia? Yeah. So they all went to Australia. She died, I think... Oh, 10 years after they moved there or something like that. So. Mommy died. Yeah. He got married. He got married in 68, moved in with his in-laws, and apparently the mother-in-law and him did not get along. So before his killings in late 1989 and early 1990, he was a volunteer at the Senior Citizen Society and was considered by friends to be a very trustworthy man. So in 89, he's in his 50s? Started killing at the age of, yeah, like 56, something like that. So he held out a couple of decades. Yeah, he held out for a while. Okay. <laughs> so before we get into the murders, we'll get into like his other offenses around the 1960s. Na- oh, so we're backing up a little bit. Yeah, so we're backing up just a little bit. Okay. So shortly after immigrating, he was convicted of two counts of larceny in Victoria and a stealing charge in New South Wales. And then in 62, he was convicted of two counts of assaulting women in Melbourne, two counts of indecent assault, one count of assaulting occasioning an actual bodily harm, and four counts of larceny. So he's kind of a busy guy. Yeah, he's just assaulting people and stealing shit. And I'm surprised Australia was like, we'll make you a citizen. Australia put him on a three-year good behavior bond. Okay. And I had never heard of that before, and I was like, "What? what is that? Because we don't have that here. And I looked it up. It's a type of non-custodial sentence, which involves the condition of the offender's good behavior for a set period. So basically, it's like probation. That's exactly what it sounds like. Right. I'm like, mm, all <laughs> these all these assaults and you get probation? <laughs> right. Like, no jail time? Why? I just, maybe he's just not assaulting the right women because it's just not enough. Shoot. No doubt. The attacks were reported to be extremely severe, and on each occasion, certain articles of clothing had been removed. So, like, pantyhose or shoes. <laughs> is he a collector, or it is, a, is it a fetish? Is it a combo? What are we talking? He just likes to steal. Women's clothing? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. So, at the time of the offenses, he was employed as a TV rigger for the ABC and lived in, Mel- in the Melbourne suburb of Camberwell. You know, he's rigging up all these TVs. He can be anywhere. Go anywhere. Well, this is like BTK. Mm-hmm. 
he was a security. Yeah, a security guy. Right. So he was gaining. He was gaining access in, to homes. Correct. And, yeah. But servicing TV is the same. Yeah, same thing. You get access to homes. Right. And, yeah. So on January 11th of 1989, 84-year-old Margaret Todd Hunter was walking down Hill Road, Moseman. Glover saw her, parked his car, and walked over to her, punched her in the face. Just some rando punch. Yeah, and stole the contents of her purse, including $209. <laughs> just walks up to this 89-year-old woman. Old lady? An 84-year-old woman. He just walks up and straight up cold cocks her in the face. He's like, you're next. You don't know it yet. <laughs> Surprise. Bam. Bam. He then went to the Moseman RSL Club and spent the stolen money. The club? Yeah, so I looked it up. It's a, it's just like a club. Like, they have, like, slot machines in there. They have, like, dancing, music, a restaurant. I Because I looked it up and it I was like. It sounds like it's a big casino or, like, an open casino. I really wouldn't call it a casino per se, but I don't know. They just call it a club. So the police concluded that it was a mugging and had little hope of finding who did it. Oh, Lord. Yeah. All right. So from here, we're going to move on his first victim well first murder victim, <laughs> okay I, I was gonna say <laughs> the first person who he just straight up killed march 1st 1989 he left. so this is a big gap yes so okay. between january and march. he held it in for about 20 some odd years yep and then assaulted a couple people punched an old lady in the face and then went a couple months and then murdered no that does seem like he was escalating, and then things calmed down for a couple of decades. That's that's a little odd to me. Yeah, like his next step within the next couple of years, not twenty years down the road. So, I mean, has he ever alluded to other victims besides the ones we're going to touch on? Or um, so there's six confirmed. They think there might have been as many as nine, but they're not a hundred percent sure. All right. So, yeah, so March 1st, 1989, he left the Moseman RSL, that club, on Military Road and saw 82-year-old Gwendolyn Mitchell Hill. He returned to his car, put a hammer under his belt, and continued to follow her to the entry foyer of her apartment building. Once they got there, he hit her in the back of the head with the hammer and continued to hit her in the head and the body, breaking several of her ribs. And he ran, taking her purse containing $100. <laughs> Did he have problems with Grandma or just Mom? Just Mom. Okay. Who was an older lady, I guess. Well, well at older, this time, but, yeah. yeah. Gwendolyn was still alive. So she survived initially. Initially, when she was found by two schoolboys, but died shortly after the police and the ambulance arrived. He took a hammer to her ribs, to her body. To her face, to the back of her head. <sighs> yeah. There were no eyewitnesses or leads that could link to any of the attacks or to the attack on Todd Hunter. No forensic evidence because good-intentioned neighbors, believing that she had merely fallen, washed the crime scene. So they cleaned away the potential physical evidence. Yeah. What did he do with the hammer? Did he take it with him? Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I mean, how would you assume that she fell when she had broken ribs? Her face was bashed in the Inside back of her head. Inside her apartment, unless in the they were foyer, stairs. the oh. foyer of the apartment, not even in her so, actual yeah, apartment. What, she, what is this? The magic bullet? Right. Like <laughs> the magic fall? Right. Like I mean, you know, how tall is she? Like five something, probably at most. That little bit of a fall. Right. And then, plus two, at that age, your bones are pretty fragile. Yeah, but not that fragile. Right, but I mean, what kind of fall are you taking? And what kind of falls do you have in Australia where you think yeah. you you mistake a, a hammer beating 
Or a fall. Right? I mean, shoot. My grandfather had, you know, multiple strokes. Dude made, you know, he's probably 140 pounds soaking wet. Hitched over the uh, stairs of my grandma's house into a pile of wood. The only thing that happened was he had a small cut on his head. He had some bruises. But, I mean, like, you know, and that's that's a fall. That's not assault with a hammer. I just, when you spoke of striking the ribs, I actually kind of saw that. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm a little, my stomach's a little upset right now. I don't blame you. May 9th, 1989. We are moving on to his second victim. Walking along Military Road and saw 84-year-old Lady Ashton, widow of artist Sir William Ashton, on her way home to nearby Raglan Street. This time, he put on a pair of gloves and followed her into the foyer of her apartment. He attacked her with a hammer, threw her to the ground, and dragged her into a rubbish bin alcove and repeatedly hit her head against the pavement. He did this outside? Yep. In broad daylight, in the middle of the day. So he's not worried about getting caught. No. The first five of his victims were all done basically outside, in broad daylight. This guy has rage. Yes. Glover would later recall that she almost overpowered him until he tripped and fell on top of her. Thanks, gravity. Right. But I'm like, I'm like, this little 84-year-old woman almost overpowered you, homeboy. <laughs> Bet you feel real good Your about that ass, one. bitch. <laughs> Bet you feel real good about that one, don't you, sir? Once she was unconscious, Glover removed her pantyhose and strangled her with them. What is with the pantyhose? Was he... I'll get into that. Okay, okay. He, he has a reason for doing weird things that he does. He placed her walking stick and her shoes at her feet and left with her purse containing $100. <laughs> uh, he then went to the Mosman RSL, the club again, and commented to staff that he hoped the sirens outside weren't for another mugging. Oh my god. I just beat this old lady and strangled her to death. Really hope the ambulance isn't for anything with that. Right? The police found her laying face down diagonally across the concrete floor of the alcove with a pool of blood around her head. The pantyhose were tied so tightly around her neck that it actually cut into her neck. Oh. Yeah. Her bare legs were crossed and her arms were at her sides. At this point, the police finally realized that they were dealing with a serial killer. All the victims were elderly women from the same suburb, and assaulted or killed in the same manner before being robbed of their handbags. This was Glover's calling card. Postmortem was carried out, showed no signs of semen, so no signs of sexual assault, which, I mean, sucks that she died, but at least that didn't happen to her. She had bruises on the nose, the temple, her neck, and on both eyelids. She had a diamond ring on her finger that was still present, so they suggested that she had not been killed for the money. No, this is, he's... He's Just killing to kill. No, I think he's killing mommy. Yeah, in his head. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, did the victims look alike? Because mm-hmm. if he's killing mommy, or did they look like his mom? I didn't find anything like that. I didn't find any descriptions of them. Didn't find any descriptions of the mom. So we don't know if that was the triggering. Like, I, I would probably say it was more probably like crimes of opportunity, really. He just okay. saw an old lady walking by herself and right. knew that. She was an easy target. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he takes a break from murdering for a minute. And on June 6, 1989, he molested 77-year-old Marjorie Musley at the Wesley Gardens Retirement Home in Belrose. She reported to staff and police that a man had put a hand down her nightgown but could not remember what he looked like. Why was he there? So he worked for a company called 20 and 4 Pies. So he would do pie sales. So he'd go to, like, retirement homes or stores. Okay, so, like, Baker cell. Yeah. June 24th, 1989, he visited the Carolyn Chris Home Nursing Home in Lane Cove. He lifted the dress of an elderly patient, fondled her butt, 
in a neighboring room, slid a hand down the front of another patient's nightdress, and stroked her breasts. So he took a, took a break from murdering to go just assault people. The second lady cried out for help, and Glover was briefly questioned by the staff before being allowed to leave. What? Yeah. yeah. I don't Did they even at least try calling his office of employment and say, you know, we have this issue, just so you're aware? Apparently not. Yeah. August 8th, 1989. Assaulted the elderly Effie Carney in a back street of Linfield on Sydney's Upper North Shore. October 6th, 1989. He pretended to be a doctor and ran his hand up the dress of Phyllis McNeil, a patient at the Wabina Nursing Home in the Lower North Shore suburb of Neutral Bay, and left when the blind McNeil called for help. So now he's pretending to be a doctor as well. And assaulting blind ladies. Old ladies. Yeah. Yeah. October 18th, 1989. Followed 86-year-old widow Doris Cox along Spit Road Mosman to her retirement village. In a secluded stairwell, he attacked her, ramming her face into a brick wall. She survived the assault, but was unable to provide a clear description due to her dementia. Oh my god. According to her, the attacker was a young man, possibly a teen or a skateboarder. Uh, She provided the police with an identikit drawing, but the scene was once again washed down by neighbors before investigators arrived. And she, w- she had dementia, you had said? Yes, yeah, so she was unable to so, identify. So, I mean, he's really starting to pick the weakest of the elderly. Yeah. Just going after people that he knows that he can get away with it. Correct. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to move on to November 2nd, 1989, his third victim. He approached 78-year-old Lane Cove resident Dorothy Benke. Was this a birthday gift to himself? Oh, I don't know. It was oh, yeah, I didn't even realize that was on, yeah. Shoot. No, November 2nd. He was born. Well, some people like to celebrate the whole month. <laughs> We're not going to mention couple, names. couple people in my family. <laughs> <laughs> Daisy. <laughs> I would never say that. But also Vina. Yeah, that's fair. I celebrate, like, the week of mine. So he approached Dorothy Benke while she was walking home on a back street just off of Longville Road, about six miles, roughly, from Roseman. He engaged her in conversation and offered to carry her groceries home. Then uh, invited him in for tea. He declined and left. But on the return down the laneway to the main street, he passed another old woman and assaulted her from behind. The victim was 85-year-old widow Margaret Pudd, also on her way home from shopping. He hit her in the back of the head with a blunt object. I'm assuming it was the hammer. It just says blunt object. Rearranged her clothing, shoes, and walking stick, took her handbag, and left. No one saw the attack, but within a few minutes, her body was found by a young schoolgirl. So, did he take off her pantyhose and choke her too, or? I couldn't find anything that said that. I'm going to assume that he did, because that's kind of that was his mo. Mo. So, neighbors once again watched the scene, probably thinking it was another fall. While the police and the ambulance were on their way to the scene, Glover was rummaging through the contents of Pod's purse in a nearby golf course. He headed over to the Mosman RSL to spend the three hundred dollars that he had found. He's not even saving his money. Nope. Stolen money. Nope. Just steals it and spends it. Right. Gambles it. Within 24 hours of Pod's murder, on November 3rd, 1989, 81-year-old Olive Cleveland became the fourth victim of the so-called granny killer. He struck up a conversation with her as she was sitting on a bench just outside the Wesley Garden Retirement Village in the suburb of Belrose. When she became uncomfortable, she got up and proceeded to try to walk to the main building. He grabbed her from behind and forced her down a ramp into a secluded side lane. He hit her and repeatedly pushed her head into the concrete before he removed her pantyhose and tied them tightly around her neck. Rearranged her clothing, shoes, and walking stick, and then left, taking $60 from her handbag. 
Now, when you say rearranging her clothing, like she's he's switching the shoes on different feet. So he takes those shoes off, sets them to the side next to the body, along with a walking stick. He positions the body. So he's he's presenting her basically. Yes. Again, attributed to a heavy fall. Crime scene was washed. My God. Yes. And no eyewitnesses. The state government doubled the initial reward for any information that was originally at a hundred thousand to two hundred. Did they not make the announcement that they truly believed that they had a serial killer on their hands? I believe they did, but that's well shit, the award's at two hundred thousand dollars now for any information, so Okay. It just seems odd that everyone keeps thinking all these people had accidents. I mean Yeah. Right. And somehow landed in a way that their body was perfectly lined up and their shoes were And there's neat. a presentation there, correct. Yeah. Okay. November 23rd, 1989, Glover was sitting in the Buena Vista Hotel in, the, in Middlehead Road, Mosman, when he saw 93-year-old Muriel Falconer. He returned to his car that was parked across from the police station to retrieve his gloves and hammer. So he has no regard. He doesn't, he's not afraid. No. Nah. Not at all. The man's committing the crime right in front of the cops. <laughs> he parks his car across from the station. He, it's a big fuck you. And goes and gets his gloves You're and his hammer. You're not going to catch me. He followed her to the exterior of her Mustin, uh, Mustin Street home, moved up behind her while, she, uh, while the partially deaf and blind falconer was opening her door. I was going to say she didn't see him coming, but now that... Because, I mean, if he's got a gloves and a hammer, right? I don't know which direction I would go, but I'd be... The I'd, opposite way. Correct. <laughs> Not where I'm secluded. No. Uh, he put his hand around her mouth to silence her and repeatedly hit her around the head and the neck. She fell to the floor and Glover began to remove her pantyhose. She regained consciousness and cried for help. Glover panicked and hit her multiple times with the hammer until she passed out once again and then strangled her with the pantyhose. He searched her purse and her house and left with $100. The body was found by a neighbor the following afternoon who entered using a spare key. The crime scene this time was intact, and forensic evidence, such as a bloody shoe print, was collected. They were starting to hone in on the suspect, being identified as a middle-aged, portly, and gray-haired man. The reward was increased to $250,000 by Christmas. Well, you know, this... The whole neighbor cleaned out the area. The, obviously, forensics was not a big thing back then mm-hmm. because, in theory, they should have closed off. But, I mean, if they're thinking it's just a fall, yeah, you know, the police wouldn't be tapering anything off anyways. Right. But, I mean, you'd still think. Right, by the second or third victim, mm-hmm. this should be a forerunner in their thinking of yeah. this lady this senior could potentially be yeah. another victim of who's done this before mm-hmm. well and you think like after the first lady died you'd still like rope off the crime scene like even if you think it's a fall right you would still rope it off and you know gather evidence to make sure that no foul play was involved you'd think right and to ascertain any physical evidence just in case correct don't know why they didn't so now we're going to get into the police investigation of this whole shit show. January 11th, 1990. Glover visited the Greenwich Hospital in River Road, Greenwich, on his pie cells. 
He was in his work uniform with a clipboard and entered the palliative care ward where there were four elderly and ill women, including 82-year-old advanced cancer patient Daisy Roberts. He asked if she was losing any body heat and then pulled up her nightgown and touched her in an indecent manner. Roberts panicked and called for help. A hospital sister found him in the ward. When confronted, he ran, and the hospital sister was able to record his car's registration number and notify the police. Good move on her part. Correct. Hospital staff was able to identify and named Glover as he was known for his pie cells. This is why you don't shit in your backyard. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But, hey, now they know you. Right. A week later, police returned with a photo of Glover, which Sister Davis and Miss Roberts positively identified. Although this was a significant break, hospital assaults were not linked to the murder or reported to the murder task force for three weeks. Great. So there's a nice delay. Right. I mean, you have old ladies getting murdered and old ladies getting assaulted. Mm. The connect. Correct. The essence of the same type of victim wasn't enough for them to... To connect the, the right. two? Like, why don't you even, like, just even just a, a brief thought maybe enter your brain. Like, could these possibly be connected? Maybe. Why would you not think that? But I will say, and, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm American. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't think it's the pie guy. Because we don't, ner- in my thinking, and I've been mm-hmm. in and out of nursing homes mm-hmm. and... A retirement village and or the type of enclosed, mm-hmm. you know, senior apartment complexes yeah, where people are monitored mm-hmm. all the time. And maybe it's because we live in a relatively isolated area with not a lot of services. But yeah, we don't have companies going in selling food because the food is typically provided mm-hmm. by whatever organization they're renting from or another skilled nursing is you know providing the food correct so here again this is something we typically don't find here in america Mm -hmm. so i wouldn't think it's the pie guy is my point well and also i guess to be fair like you know he volunteered at like retirement homes and he was you know known to be trustworthy by friends and And otherwise upstanding citizen yeah you know which a lot of serial killers tend to be, I've noticed. I mean, John Wayne Gacy, creepy-ass clown guy. Yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer, you know. What was it? Oh, Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was extremely charming. Right. And everyone thought, you know, The way it was him. him. Yeah. Right. Detectives contacted Glover and requested that he attend an interview at the station the following day. When he failed to appear, they phoned his home and were told by his wife that he attempted suicide by overdose and was recovering at the Royal North Shore Hospital. So that's not a red flag. No, of course not. And, you know, here again, he already had the history 20 years prior of assaulting women. Exactly. So why they were like, hey, can you please come in versus knock, knock, knock. We're going to have to talk now. Right. Like, hey, who knows? Uh, So they went to the hospital to see Glover, and he declined to be interviewed, but did permit them to take a picture. And that picture was the one that they took back to the retirement home. So they confirmed. So, staff at the hospital handed police a note, a suicide note written by Glover, that contained the words, no more grannies, grannies, and Essie started it. Essie was his mother-in-law. So, it's not his fault no, of course that not. he hammered 
Oh, little old ladies to death. Yeah, no, of course not. Essie started it. It was all her doing. And no more grannies. <laughs> like what? You're no, it is this an IOU? <laughs> I promise not to kill anymore and leave me alone? Right. Dude. It doesn't work that way. No. Two weeks later, the note and the photo were passed on to the task force, the murder task force, that was now numbering roughly 70 members. Detectives believed immediately that Glover was the killer, although they had no evidence. The head of the task force had stated, if he had said to us, I don't want to talk, we couldn't have proved a thing. Still, the photo matched the descriptions of the gray-haired suspect, and in his job as a pie salesman, Glover could have been at any one of those locations. Well, all they had to do was go back. Yeah. To the dates of the assaults mm-hmm. that transpired in the nursing home to see if he was there those days. Yeah. It's called police work. Mm-hmm. Fair. He was interviewed over the nursing home assaults and denied all accusations. They had limited evidence and decided not to question him over the murders, which would have let Glover know of their suspicions. They did, however, put him under constant surveillance, including, at one point, with an automatic tracking device. Glover would drive around the block more than once or drive uh, the wrong way up one-way streets because he knew he was being tracked. So he found the, the device, probably. Probably. March 19th, 1990. The sixth and final victim was 60-year-old Joan Sinclair, who was a friend of his, in Beauty Point, Moseman. He was under constant surveillance, and they watched as Sinclair let Glover into her home at approximately 10 a.m. They watched? Yes. They watched him walk into the house. <laughs> he wanted to get caught. Yeah. By 1 p.m., there was no sign of Glover or movement within the house. By 5 p.m., the police became concerned. Four hours later, good job. Yeah. They didn't get permission to enter the home until 6. It's a knock. And why would you wait so long? You went in there at 10 a.m., and you can't get in there until 6? That is eight hours. <laughs> he buried her in the basement inside that time. My God. That's a whole-ass work day. It is. <laughs> You couldn't have thought of, maybe we'll have a neighbor go by and check on her? Right. Or, I mean, if they didn't want to get, a, you know, an innocent bystander involved, an undercover cop with cookies or pie. Hey, Gladys. <laughs> I thought I'd bring you some pie. Oh, jeez. I don't think that's a stretch there, no, folks. No, it totally ain't, but. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Just. Yeah. Two uniformed police officers knocked um, on the door to check on barking dogs was their excuse. There was no answer. They saw through the rear glass door of the house a hammer laying in a dry pool of blood on a mat. Four detectives got into the house and searched and found Sinclair's body with her battered head wrapped in a bundle of blood-soaked towels. She was naked from the waist down and pantyhose were tied around her neck. Her genitals had been damaged, but he would later deny raping her. Did they find semen? No. They searched the house for Glover, who was found unconscious in the filled bathtub upstairs. Filled? Yep. Glover later told police that he had murdered Joan and explained that they had been having a relationship for some time. So not only is this dude assaulting women and murdering women, but he's also cheating on his wife. Right. And they have two kids together, by the way. Did they find any factual evidence to confirm this? No, but I wouldn't put it past him. So you think maybe he potentially could have been? Yeah. Okay. So he beat her about the head with a hammer and removed her pantyhose and strangled her. 
He rolled the body onto a mat, wrapped four towels around her head wounds to stem the blood flow, and then dragged her body across the room, leaving a trail of blood. He then went upstairs, ran a bath, swallowed a handful of Valium with a bottle of Vat 69, flashed his left wrist, and then lay in the tub to die. Police were relieved they had survived. Otherwise, they feared ongoing speculations as to whether Glover was the murderer or not. You know, one of the big problems here, Mm -hmm. and it is an an unfortunate scenario that will play out, during the 80s in particular, in the early part of the 80s, it's not like they had a whole bunch of terrible crimes like this Yeah, to become a little bit more sophisticated in terms of forensic evidence, searching the the immediate area or, or you know or the second location yeah. or the outer radius this starts to happen as crime escalates and gets more more common. prevalent yeah than the rando some of sam mm-hmm. boston strangler scenario golden, golden state, state killer, killer. jack so, the ripper you know that kind of yeah right and that i mean it's Nowadays, they quarantine off everything, mm-hmm. and every little piece gets re-examined over and over Correct. with different approaches and techniques. Mm-hmm. But back then, and again, I'm not familiar with the crime rates in Australia, but and and, and DNA was was barely even a thing. Correct. It's not until you know ten years, twenty years, thirty years later where. I mean, half of a hair follicle can now right. pinpoint sure. a murderer. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, go ahead. Sorry. It's all good. His trial was commenced on March 28, 1990. He pleaded guilty on the ground, or not guilty, on the grounds of diminished responsibility. What? <laughs> Dude, I wish I could just, yeah, I didn't do that. I have diminished responsibility, my, my guy. My mother-in-law made me do it. It's what I'm fucking hearing right, right? now. I had problems. In my house and in my childhood, and my mom sucked. That's why I did what I did. So I had diminished responsibility. It's not my fault. Psychiatrists had said that Glover had a um, buildup of hostility and aggression since childhood against his mother, and then again against his mother in law, who was said to trigger him. When they both died, he had to take out his aggression on someone else. They also added that he was a very unusual case because there are very few mass murderers and most perpetrators are mentally ill and or have an organic disease of the brain. Glover did not. Well, he was mentally ill. Well, but they're talking about like schizophrenic or bipolar, that kind of... When you're killing people, there is something mentally wrong with you. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're doing it in... Broad daylight. Broad daylight and the violent way they're doing it. Absolutely, yes. Glover was found to be sane at the time of the murders. Good. Australia. The Crown Prosecutor maintained that Glover was well aware of his actions. When he killed, he was also planning what to do with the victim's money and also took time to clean the hammer with acid between victims. Premeditated. Mm Mm-hmm. He was impotent and had no interest in sex, so tying the pantyhose so tightly around his victim's neck was to make sure that they were dead, at the same time trying to trick the police into thinking that this was the work of a sexually motivated killer. Why are we giving him that credit? I don't know, but that's what they said. He killed them, as you said earlier, more of an opportunist. So he's not thinking that way. He's not having that forethought. Yeah. 
Okay. Hmm. He was addicted to poker machines, and the easiest way for him to get money was to steal it. After the guilty verdict and sentencing, which was six life terms, so one per victim. So they got him for all of them? All of them. The presiding judge stated that he was dealing with an extremely dangerous prisoner. This is a direct quote from the judge. He is able to choose when to attack and when to stay his hand. He is cunning and able to cover his tracks. It is plain that he has chosen his moments carefully. Although the crimes have been opportunistic, he has not gone in where the risks were overwhelming. The period since January of 1989 has been one of intense and serious crime involving extreme violence inflicted on elderly women accompanied by the theft or robbery of their property. On any view, the prisoner has shown himself to be an exceedingly dangerous person, and that view was mirrored by the opinions of the psychiatrist who gave evidence at his trial. I have no alternative other than to impose the maximum available sentence, which means that the prisoner will be required to spend the remainder of his natural life in jail. It is inappropriate to express any date as to the release on parole, having regard to those life sentences, this is not a case where the prisoner may ever be released pursuant to order of this court. He is never to be released. Excellent. Yeah. Absolutely excellent. Mm-hmm. Glover would later, quite a bit ways down the line, hang himself from a shower rail in his jail cell in Lithgow on September 9, 2005, while he was on suicide watch. I guess someone stepped away for a second. Yeah. Yeah. But my question is, did he really hang himself? Or is this kind of like an Epstein thing where he killed himself while on suicide watch? So, days before his suicide, Glover handed his a sketch. The sketch was of a park with two palm trees. In the middle of the right tree, a number nine can be seen between the leaves and the branches. It was thought to represent either the number of murders or the number of unsolved murders still out there that he committed. So back to my original question, Mm -hmm. do they think he committed others? Yeah, so they had no proof of him killing before 1989, but they did, he was a prime suspect in the bashing murder of a Florence Broadhurst in her Paddington home in 1977. See, and I had mentioned earlier... Mm -hmm. Here he was kind of... With that big gap. Right. And he was escalating his mm-hmm. assaults and crime. Yeah. And then nothing for two decades? That doesn't seem... Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, the proven number is six. They believed it could be as many as nine. So there might be three more out there that he committed. Right. That they just haven't tied him to. A number of years after his conviction, Glover would admit that he never worried about who his victims were or why he killed them. He stated that he wanted to stop killing, but couldn't. Okay. Yeah. I don't believe yeah. that for a second. People choose to kill. Yeah. People correct. choose to murder. Well, and especially in the way that you're doing it. You know. I, the man carried the hammer around with gloves. And cleaned it with acid in between murders. And parked in front of the police department. He yeah. could have stopped at any time. It, yeah. It, it, I don't know. This man. <laughs> I can't, there aren't words. I No. And the elderly. Yeah. He went after people that he knew. Couldn't fight them off. Exactly. All right. All right. So that is what we have for you tonight. On to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. I have a Facebook account. And if you are curious or interested and would like to join, send request. 
It's a it's a simple one. Mm-hmm. Nothing too involved. Maybe one post a day. Yeah. But if you have a place or a serial killer yeah. you would like Sierra to investigate or research, send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. Final thoughts, Sierra. People suck, man. God damn. <laughs> On every continent. Everywhere. All right. So until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are. Mm-hmm.